Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by someone I've watched from a distance for a long, long time and only known via reputation. He's a successful serial entrepreneur. He's created and built over a dozen successful companies. Plus, he's helped thousands of other ambitious and aggressive business owners, entrepreneurs, executives, and sales professionals all around the world do the exact same for over 35 years. He has assembled a team of the world's top business building experts as the publisher of Rhino Monthly Magazine, the RhinoDaily.com blog, and the Rhino Daily podcast. He has written numerous newsletters and articles on sales and marketing for a wide range of publications. He's appeared on radio, television, and in international media, plus he is a best-selling author of several books. He has won many awards for both marketing and sales, and he is the creator of The Wow Strategy, the key to helping small business owners solve all of their sales and marketing problems. The man I'm talking about is none other than Steve Cypress. Steve just recently moved to Arizona now. Uh, with his beautiful wife Michelle, and I guess I didn't ask, but do you still have your crazy cocker spaniel? I we still have him with us. He is not crazy anymore. He is now Mister Old Man Doggy Boy, who uh, can barely walk. He's deaf, but uh, he made it. His goal was to make it out of Illinois, or at least that was our goal for him. And uh, he somehow made it. We've been here twelve days, and he's still with us. Uh, we got a ranch, so there's no more stairs, and he can walk around anywhere he wants without me carrying him. So he's not as high maintenance as he was. He's not as crazy or rambunctious. We actually had uh, over 20 people of my wife's family over here yesterday for Thanksgiving, and he went uncharacteristically to me. He went into a corner and sat in a corner and went to sleep the whole time. Now, in the past, he would have been crazy and rambunctious and gone all over, but now that he's deaf and uh, has trouble walking, he's really just scared. But uh, we love him. He's still with us, and now we are out of the confines of the world's most corrupt state of Illinois and into beautiful, sunny, where I'm sitting out by my pool at the end of November, Scottsdale, Arizona. That is awesome. Loving life. Yeah. And it's fantastic to be here, Daryl. I have to say, I mean, that was quite a compliment you gave me on the intro, but, uh, uh, you know, I've been impressed with you ever since before we met, and we talked about how, you know, the successful direct response marketers is small. We all seem to know the same people. We're friends with the same people. We hang out the same conferences, and and uh, it's always great to connect with a, not a like mind uh, pee in a pod. Thanks. Thank you. Well, again, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. So for the rest of the listeners in that, I mean, your journey, you've obviously accomplished a lot. You've been able to rub elbows with some of the very rich, powerful, and famous, as well as achieve notoriety yourself and have a long list of accolades. But you didn't start off that way. So how did you even get started in business? My goodness, how I didn't start off that way. Um, <laughs> all the way back to my first start of my first business, uh, I mean, I did the whole you know, kid entrepreneurial thing that 
probably all your listeners have in common is, uh, I mean, I remember going around on my bike and collecting bottles out of the garbage, Coke bottles, and putting them in my basket on my bike and trying not to break them and returning them for a penny. Okay. So I know I'm dating myself, but for somehow I would get like, you know, 12 at a time and be all happy and like, uh, but back then, of course, 12 cents could buy something. Bubble gum was a penny and baseball cards were five cents or whatever, but you know, so I did that kind of thing, and, and I just decided that instead of hanging out doing nothing and playing, I always liked turning my time into money. I always liked turning, mm. you know, taking advantage of opportunities. So I was never one, I still am not really good at ever coming up with an idea, but I was always good on taking action. So somebody would say, you know, it would be great, you could do this and that and this and that, and you could make some money. And I'd be like, so why don't you? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm going to. And then I just go do it. So and I do all kinds of things like that. And, uh, and, and the second I was 12 years old, I went and got my paper route. And uh, immediately on my first day, talk about not successful in business, on my first, I, I delivered papers for a few days. And then on the first day of going around to collect, Half of my route canceled. What? They were like, oh, haven't seen you in a while. Like, uh, I don't even get the paper a lot of the days. What the heck's going on? I'm canceling. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That isn't me. I'm brand new. I didn't know anything, of course, about marketing or positioning mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. telling my story. I was like <laughs> completely floored by this. Went home. I'm in total tears. And my dad, who was an entrepreneur, a business owner, a salesperson, he, he looked at me and said, like, okay, so what are you going to do? You can stop doing the whole thing because now you've got hardly enough papers to do a route. Or you can get out there, and there's a lot more houses in this territory. You're doing a paper every five houses. You can get out there and build this route up. Hmm. And uh, that's what I did. And he said, you can't let those people bother you. They're not even talking about you. They're talking about the guy that was before you. Go out and get it going, and people start talking about you positively, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It was one of my first lessons in, like, you know, uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Like, mm -hmm. turn it into a positive, get to work. You know, there was no welfare or food stamps for paper boys back then. Mm -hmm. um, there probably is now among all our welfare programs, but it was like, <laughs> get to work and, uh, you know, stop your sulking and go do something about it and take action. And within a, about a year or so, I went from the 16 papers that I had after that first collection night to 47, wow. and I had a second route that I took over in a part-time. I shared it with somebody in a partnership, and so, you know, I love that. It taught me some great skills of, you know, every day after school. I had to race home. I had my last. I always took no class for the last period so I could race home, had 40 minutes to deliver all my papers and get back to school for whatever sport practice I was playing on the team and, uh, you know, doing the whole thing in the weekends and whatever. So that was great. And I mm. did more and more of that stuff. You know what ended up? I, I never, even when I looked for a job, I got to tell you, I couldn't, I couldn't take a job with any jobs that didn't have an opportunity. I was attracted to all the opportunities. Mm. So in high school, uh, I had so many different jobs, but they were things like a golf caddy, where you don't get paid unless you get out on the course and then and, and you get a tip. I was uh, uh, worked in Madison Square Garden for two and a half years, uh, where it was pure commission. So we're walking mm. around the seat with popcorn, and, and later on when I turned 18, I could get beer mm -hmm. and sodas and ice cream and whatever. And if, if we didn't work, we didn't get paid. Mm. Uh, if you, you didn't have to show up even. There was no roll call or set time. If you got in, you were in. My dad happened to be a season ticket holder of the Knicks and the Rangers in New York, and he talked to an usher, and he said, how do you get in? Uh, that's another great story for entrepreneurs. I showed up for the interview. And the boss, the interviewee, did not show up for the interview. <laughs>
He left me sitting outside the employee entrance to Madison Square Garden on 34th and 8th or whatever on a cold day in February for about six hours before I decided to go home. And came back the next day and said, okay, I waited all day here yesterday. He didn't show up. Tell him I'm here again today. He came down within five minutes and the spot. And then later on, all the guys told me that's exactly how he does it. Really? Because this is such a great job. Well, it's the greatest job in the world for a kid, especially if you like sports, because you get to go to all the games free. Right. You're not allowed to work at the end of the game because they cash you out. Mm-hmm. You know, they stop serving the food. So now you get to watch the last five minutes of every basketball game, which uh-huh. is the only part worth watching, and you watch the end of hockey games. You were getting into every concert. I mean, I went to, you know, this was so much fun walking That's around school cool. the day after a concert, and people were like, oh, Led Zeppelin, you know, what night did you go to the show? Where are my Led Zeppelin t shirt? What night did you go? I'm like, what night did you go? Uh, second night. I'm like, I went that night, too. And the other guy is like, I went the fourth night. I went that night, too. How about the sixth night? Yeah, I went that night, too. I went to all of them. And by the way, I got ten of these T-shirts, and I got them for half the price. And like, well, by the way, that reminds me, I turned that into another business. So as a vendor, we got to, at the end of the run, we got to buy the T-shirts for half price. And I would go, I would tell everybody that I was going to, after the day after a run of a concert, Pink Floyd four days and Led Zeppelin six days and whatever, I would have co- T-shirts. I would take orders in advance, take the cash in advance, mm. and deliver the T-shirts the day after the concert run ended at full price. That's and awesome. so made even more money there. So basically, what I, I got paid to go to concerts and go to games and go to the circus and the wrestling and the boxing and, you know, whatever is going on that in town. So it's awesome. a great job. The other thing is the pay. I mean, I'm working, I'm, I have to travel to get to the job, but I'm working about two hours, right. right? A basketball or hockey game is about two hours. And back then I was making 30, 40 bucks a night uh, when minimum wage, uh, the, the job I had pumping gas before that, I was getting paid three dollars and forty cents an hour. An hour. Or something. Right, right. So I knew that all the kids in school were working a whole week yep, to make, to make like one hundred and forty bucks. Yep, uh, or one hundred twenty or something like that, and they're working a whole week, and I could make that in two, three nights just by hustling. So I had a job that was if, the more you hustle, the more money you make. A lot of kids would show up at the concerts, especially, and not work at all. They might work if there's an intermission. But they're sitting down and watching the whole concert, which, by the way, we could sit in the front row and we can go in the locker rooms and we're hanging out backstage with the, the Who and the Rolling Stones and the, it was, it's a lot of fun. But they are, you know, smoking some funny stuff and drinking some beers and <laughs> hanging out in the front row and saying, yeah, I'm not making any money tonight, but look where I am for free in this concert. And right. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I could never even do that. I'm like, no, 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 I'm making money. And so even when I had that pumping gas job, by the way, I pumped gas from 7 to 3. Every day, I rode my bike an hour to a fast food place, and I served fast food from 4 to midnight. Wow. And so, because I couldn't even just stand having, making only 120 a week. I had to make double. So, and oh, the, the other advantage of that, by the way, is on a Friday or Saturday night when all the other kids are looking at how to spend a little bit of money they made from their, the crummy jobs we all had, mm-hmm. I couldn't because I'm busy working all the time. So I right. couldn't even spend the money. So I was saving up all my money. Yep. And, you know, I bought my own car. I bought my own stereo system. I traveled. I did whatever I want. Always had to have my own money, make my own way. I was always very self-reliant, very independent, a real real preparation for an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fast forward to, I think, your real question, my first real business, my first multi-million dollar business, I started when I turned my hobby into a business. This was in my third year of law school. Okay. 
this, the end of the second year of, my law, of law school, where I had already discovered that my friends from college, we were kind of growing apart in the year and a half or two since college. Okay. And I was like, you know, I would like to stay in touch with these people. And I remembered back to when I was a kid, here's one thing we used to do. We were big sports fans. Mm-hmm. And we would, uh, uh, one of the kids would, it had this game or this, this pool where uh, we would all put in a quarter and we would take out the newspaper of whatever basketball games were on that night and we would go around with the six or eight of us, whoever had put the quarters in, and one at a time we'd do a draft and pick a player. And whoever scored the most points, we'd pick two players each. Whoever scored the most points that night got the $2 or whatever the pot was. Right. And so, gee, you know, I'll take Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I'll take this guy, and, you know, you come in the next day, and one guy scored 22 points, the other guy scored 18, you got 40, maybe you won. So what I did is I said, I remember that game. What I would like to do is play that game on an ongoing basis. Mm. So kind of we get together before the season starts. I get together some of my friends here want to stay in touch. We're sports fans. We will draft our players, but we won't draft new ones every day. Right. We will draft more than enough to put a full lineup in. We'll draft like 10 basketball players on a team so that every night we can have five that are playing. Right. And, uh, and we'll have these lineups, and then we'll be able to trade players with each other. And we'll able to, like, if somebody gets hurt, we'll sign what we'll call a free agent, which is someone we hadn't drafted in the beginning. And it'll be kind of like we own our own basketball team. That's awesome. And I started this whole game. And I thought I was, you know, making up this whole game based on this one-day pool of scoring where now we were counting scores and rebounds and, and assists and whatever. And, you know, it came to be known, I mean, as I tell the story, everyone's just rolling their eyes now going, yeah, dude, that's called fantasy basketball. What are you talking We all know what that is. But back then, nobody knew what it was. In fact, you know, people still to this day think I invented fantasy football. Like, I didn't invent it. I, I know as soon as I, I did this, there were, I found there were other people doing it. And mm-hmm. so what happened was I, I graduated law school. I had run these leagues for now two years, and we started with the basketball, and then we did baseball. I, when I say we, of course, it was me doing everything. And there were no computers back then, so right. I was by hand keeping statistics of everybody. And everyone was calling me, and I was updating the lineup on my little notepads and whatever I was doing. And then I was putting together a whole newsletter every week. I was mailing out an eight-page newsletter with the standings and the scores and making up stories about who beat who and what happened and, you know, telling the whole thing. And I was having a blast with this right. uh, for no money. Uh, and then when I graduated college, uh, law school, and I did not want to be a lawyer, uh, you know, whole new story about why I went to law school not wanting to be a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, that's even more advanced than the kids today who go to college and end up back in their parents' right, right, house because right. they just went to college. Well, I just went to law school, but, you know, just to not have to go in the real world, basically. But uh, I didn't want to be a lawyer, and uh, I was wondering what to do. And one of the guys who played my league said to me, check this out. I just found in the back of an obscure sports magazine, an obscure one-inch ad, three different ones for guys that are doing leagues just like yours, and they're charging money for it. And I was like, what? (laughs) So I sent for their brochures. Again, there's no websites back then, but I got the brochures, and and he did too. I think he had already gotten them, and a few of them, he showed them to me. He said, your game's better than these. Look at these. You can do better. Why don't you go for it? And I was like, good idea. Let's go for it. So I actually had to place an ad and to uh, get, like, a, a computer, because I would now need a computer to do it mm-hmm. multiple leads as a business. Mm-hmm. I actually went back to work 
and Madison Square Garden to my high school drive because I knew I could go in any time, and that would be the quickest way to be able to make the 600 bucks I had to make to run the ad in right. the back of this sporting thing. And they were like, what are you doing here? <laughs> they hadn't seen me in like, you know, three years. And I was back, and I did it for three weeks, and I just went in every single day with a focus to like, you know, now I'm a little little older. I mean, for a high school kid, it was great to be yeah. coming in, and we're strong, and we can yell all night and climb stairs all night and lift 50 pounds of crap up and down all night and yeah. make our money. Uh, you know, for the older folks, uh, it's, <laughs> so it's not a great job. Right. You know, so you'll see when you go to any sporting event, the young kids, great job. The older guys are guys that, like, work a public works job or something and have seven kids and they can't possibly, you know, make a living and pay the bills, so they have to come in at night and sell peanuts and whatever. So, mm. you know, just if you're going to buy from somebody, I like to buy from the older guys because I know they're, they need it more. Us young kids were just having a blast and, like, couldn't even figure out how to spend all the money we were making. Right. But right, uh, right. anyway, so, you know, I started that business, and lo and behold, it took off. I did all – now, this – actually brings us to today because I did all kinds of direct response marketing things that I didn't know at the time there was such a thing as called direct response marketing or that there were any gurus of the industry or anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was anybody named, you know, uh, Frank Kern or, or Dan Kennedy or Gary Halbert. I never heard of any of these people, but I started doing stuff like I saw these people had, check this one out there, you want to laugh? They had in their, in their little silly one-inch ad, uh, the, the call to action was, Send three dollars and a self-addressed stamped envelope for a brochure. <laughs> yeah. See, I knew you with this. That's hilarious. I was like, okay. So my first thought was like, well, I can beat them. I'll give a free brochure. Right. Gee, that's not difficult, right? So immediately right. I knew to have a better offer. Right. So right away, and that's the O in my wow strategy is an irresistible offer. Pretty mm-hmm. irresistible for a sports fan to say, own your own sports team. Send for a free brochure. That's that's what the internet is nowadays. Go to a website. But that's what I did, a free – now, when the competition is charging money for a brochure, that's just too easy. So this was just too easy. Right. They were doing that. They were doing all kinds of stupid things. So, uh, and, and then when you, when you sent the money, they said, oh, don't worry. If you join, we'll put that $3 towards your fee. I'm like, thanks a lot. You're ridiculous. The <laughs> second thing I did is I got a toll-free number. They also, right. that, was a, that was a toll call, and back then was the mid-'80s. It was the uh, phone wars. If anyone can remember, Sprint and WorldCom and AT&T, and, and, and they were all involved in these, these phone wars to charging 25 cents a minute for long distance. So I'm dating myself, but if anyone in your audience is my age or a little older, they all remember when people would be talking in the room, you'd be on the phone, and they would say, hey, be quiet, I'm on long distance. Yeah, no, I so remember, I remember long deal. distance. I'm only 32, but, I yeah, I'm... I remember those days. That was a big deal. Well, so was airmail. Oh, I'm going to mail this by airmail. You know, these things were big deals back then. So, uh, you know, I'm on long distance. So, you know, these companies were charging 25 cents a minute, and they were doing anything to get your money. And so uh, I got a toll-free phone number, which was very expensive compared to letting, obviously, people call me for a brochure. I was paying for the calls. But here's the other thing. Back then, it wasn't like today. Today, anyone can get any kind of toll-free number, but back then, it had to be a hard line. You had to actually get another phone line put in that was a toll-free number. Well, at this point, I had come home from the three years of law school and uh, was wondering what to do and was studying for the bar exam and sleeping back in my mother's home like every good college graduate does today, pretty much. Right. And uh, <laughs> so there I was, sleeping in, in, in a, the playroom at my mom's house, and, uh, and here I was starting this business, 
and convincing my mom that the phone company was going to come over and put up a big ladder and drill a hole in the side of her house and put in another phone line. She wasn't too happy with this. I'm like, look, you know, when I move out, I'll fix the hole in the wall. Like, you know, whatever. We're starting a business here. So this was something a little difficult to do, I guess. Yep. Maybe that's why my competitors didn't do it. But come on now. Yep. You know, again, another lesson, if you're thinking about yourself, um, you shouldn't be in business. You've got to be thinking about your prospect. So what was best for the prospect was, how about this one, a toll-free call for a free brochure as against a costly long-distance call to pay or to pay for yeah. a brochure. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I already had them all destroyed in lead generation. Yeah. I was already going to get every single person, not to mention by the time they were going to call me, I was going to talk to him for 15 minutes and explain how this game works, because back then, again, nobody knew what fantasy sports was. So I have to explain the whole concept. The good news is I had a great target audience, which is my first W in the WoW strategy is the who. So my who, naturally, by placing this ad in an obscure sports magazine, I was attracting only the most rabid of sports fans who would all love running their own sports team, because all rabid sports fans talk about the day after the game, if you listen to talk radio, nobody ever calls up and goes, wasn't that a beautiful line drive down the left field line by the third baseman? Nobody talks about that. All they talk about is, oh, they ought to trade that pitcher, and you ought to bench this guy, and you ought to pick up this guy in the draft. and they ought to do That's what they're talking about. It's the owning the team stuff. Right. So every rabid sports fan who's reading this rabid sports fan obscure magazine wants the, the fantasy of owning their own team. So those are the ones calling me. I'm very happy to pay the few bucks for the toll-free phone call and a few bucks to mail out the brochure and to print it all up and whatever because once the season started, oh, man, Daryl, the money started rolling in. Now, I say rolling in. I mean, both of us have now brought in multiple millions of dollars, and, and, and you've done launches that probably you know, brought in a million dollars in a day. But back then, to me, unemployed, sleeping on my mom's couch upstairs, whatever <laughs> guy, and just going for this thing with my hobby and thinking I'm turning it into a business, uh, I don't, brought in like several hundred or something people paying, and back then they were paying me up front for the whole season, like a couple hundred bucks. Wow. All this money is rolling in. Yep. A month after I placed this ad, uh, I was, uh, you know, out of my mom's house in about like three minutes and back up to Boston where I'd gone to college and law school and got my own office, started getting employees, you know, had to start getting computers and, and back then, co big copying machines to print out and mail newsletters and pitney bows mailing equipment. And, and actually, this thing became, within a couple of years, became the largest fantasy sports game company that there was. Uh, I did other smart things. By the way, I did another thing that, that shows you where the industry is today. I gave out prize money. I was the first company to do everything in the industry. I was the first one to give out prize money. Back then, you want to have, here's another laugh. The people that won the league, the prizes all my competitors gave out, they got you got a T-shirt, you would get a hat. Uh, some gave a trophy. These were the prizes. Wow! I'm like, really? <laughs> so I placed an ad, and the headline was, "Win a trip for two, all expenses paid to the World Series." Done, done. Now, if you can give a hat, I'm pretty sure I can give a trip to the World Series. It's not a matter of is it legal or illegal to give prizes. If you're giving a prize, I'm going to give a prize. I'm just right. going to give a prize about seven bazillion, million times better, better than yours. Yeah. Because that's what's called an irresistible offer. See, I was even doing the wow strategy. didn't even know what it was. So <laughs> here's my irresistible offer. And you think I didn't get called? Call a toll-free number for a free brochure on how you can win a trip or two to the World Series, all expenses paid. 
And so then it was a trip to the Super Bowl, all expenses paid, and then it was $5,000 cash and $10,000 cash. And, and nowadays, you know, if you're not even paying attention, if you watch any sporting event, you've got to see all these ads for all these, these daily there, it's full circle now. It's all the way back to the daily thing that, that I based my ongoing thing on. That really, I have to side with the, the, the people that are the naysayers and the government that are, like, against this right now because it really, that's so much more of a lottery type of feeling. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, really yeah. is. I mean, that was an illegal sports pool that me and the kids had in school when we were 10 years old of putting in a quarter picking out two players and hoping they score a lot of points and you win. Right. When I had an ongoing season where you got to deal with injuries and backups coming into play and you got to know the sport. Suddenly come, yeah, you got to play a game. You got to manage a team. That's skill. There's yeah. I, I play these online things. I went on to one of these and uh man, I take a team and, you know, I put in my $2 and pick my players and if if I don't have the highest scoring player at every position, I know I'm not going to win. I mean, it's just a lottery. This is not a this is not a fun game to play. This is gambling and what. But anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah I'm not no, a lawyer. No, it's good. I'm glad, and I appreciate you sharing that opinion because you obviously have the best, like one of the best insights on it. So I agree. Because a lot of people get well, so you that. know, as far as uh, 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 instructional, not only did I build this company up to be worth multiple millions of dollars, got an offer from one of these phone companies. See, my uh, my members were paying big money to play this game. Not only, well, they were calling me toll-free, but they had to call each other to make trades mm. and just to give each other smack talk. Again, there was no Internet of, like, social media. <laughs> so it was smack call. talk. <laughs> well, it had to. Every night they got to call up the guy they're playing and go, ha-ha, my guy just hit a home run, you suck. And they had to do that. And, oh, and by the way, they had to get the first ever dish TVs. They, if you remember these, like, 15-foot diameter yep. space things <laughs> yeah, in the backyard with the white is going crazy. They're like, sorry, honey, we, you know, the kids can't play. I'm putting in the monstrosity that costs $3,000 to put in because I have to watch every baseball game because you understand I have my team in Steve's league. Right, and right, right. they were like, what are you even talking about? Oh, and, and we had to go get the newspaper at 3 a.m. to see who scored. And I remember when CompuServe, the Internet first yep. Yep. really came out commercially, yep. I would pay 10 cents a minute for CompuServe to tell me the score after Monday Night Football. That was the trigger for me. All day Sunday, everything is done. Every, all the lineups are in. The scores are done. Everything's And all day Monday, we would just sit around going, I would love to get these newsletters out. But we got to wait for one stupid last game. Well, I found this thing. Somebody let me know. This CompuServe at the stroke of midnight, pretty much, in, in the East Coast in Boston where it was, the game would end. And about 10 minutes later, out would come all the statistics from the game. I didn't have to wait till 3, 4 in the morning oh. to get the newspaper. This gave me a three-hour jump. Yeah. And I could get my newsletters done, run the programs overnight. Overnight. That's another thing. Today, the scores were all instant and automatic. Back then, it took hours for my Tandy 1000 computer to run the program. Yeah, 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 and in the morning, spit out results, and then I would put together, and then I had to write the stories about who beat whom and who's in first place and who's the player of the week and the owner of the week and then the tip of the week, and we got all of this out, and then... Monday or Tuesday now we're stuffing envelopes and getting everything out in the mail. So I built this thing, and I got a call from one of these phone companies, and they wanted to give me $1.75 million for 45% of the company. Wow. Well, that sounds great. And if a Shark Tank had been around, I would have been smart enough to say, you know, I'd negotiate a little bit. Would you take 33%? I love what I do. Would you take 33%? Like, stop being a fool. Just take the deal. But, um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, this, this tells me by simple math that $1.75 million for a little less than half the company, my company was worth more than $3.5 million. That was the valuation. 
Well, my stupid thinking, not knowing anything about business, and no educational business, no profit, no Shark Tank, no business conferences I went to. I had no instruction in the world of business, so I idiotically thought the mistake that I see so many business owners make where they think, yeah, but this is my baby. People say that about their business. This is my baby. Well, it has something to do with it because I did give birth to it, and I did bring it up and grow it, but it's not my baby. It's a, it's a business. It's not a person. It's not a living thing. It's not. A, it's not. It just isn't. Okay, sell it. You know, I, I think it was, I forget who it was, Peter Drucker or somebody said, the, the only reason to start a business is to sell a business. Right. And that was a lesson I didn't know back then. So mm. I just thought, this is my baby. I love this company. I built it from scratch. I love it. And my really dumb thinking was, hey, if it took me three years and it's worth three and a half million, then what's it going to be worth in worth 10 years? 10 years, right, right, right. Right, 10 years. See, you're, you're, you're ahead of me on my dumbnessness. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, in 10 years, this will be worth 10 million, and why would I want to own only 55% of 10 million? I'm giving away millions of dollars here. I'm not doing that. How stupid. So what an idiotic thing to say. That's just retarded, because what do you think the $1.75 million would have done? I mean, I have to ask you. Anyone knows. I could have hired more people, given away more prize money, placed bigger ads, had better computers and offices. I could have, for the first time ever, in fact, paid myself. I mean, I was still at that point Mm. putting back every second and every penny into the business. Business, That that probably just fueled you to do more of that more. Sort of. It did to a point, right? But here's what happened. My employees would come to me, and they would say, you know, can you sign for this, or can you, you know, take a phone call from the car dealership or the landlord to approve, you know, I want to get approved credit for a car, an apartment. Can I get a week off to take my girlfriend on a vacation? And I was, like, not living in a nice place, not driving a nice car myself, and never taking a vacation myself. All the sports, in case you're not anyone listening, not a sportsman, they all overlap. There is no break. Right. So I'm doing a newsletter every week for every sport, which meant at this time in the year in the fall, well, about a month ago, I would have been doing five newsletters at once. Wow. I would have been doing baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and golf. That's a lot. And I was still starting other sports. And I loved it, and it was great, and I loved doing it. And I would, you know, eventually I got to the point where I had employees that were doing even some of the skillful stuff and writing some of the newsletters. I was smart enough to do that at least. Mm. But I was still in a big burnout phase. And this just helped me burn out, Daryl, when, when I was creating all this success for, you know, my customers were all happy, my suppliers. I mean, I had gone to a very small local printer when he first opened up. I was smart enough to, lucky, I think, I don't think I did it because I was smart. I went to a brand new printer in town. And I very quickly became his biggest client. Right, right. So what would happen is when I'm kind of late getting out my brochures, and I got to print 3,000 full-color, back then, three-color brochures, by the way, had to take days for the ink to dry for them to print the second and third color. Yeah, I know this is dating ourselves, but that's the way it worked. Now you can put up, I'm pretty sure, a full-color video website in an hour. Yeah, you can so 3D then, print you know, faster than that now. Weeks to get a brochure out, <laughs> and extra if it was colored, not to mention the incredible extra cost to make it three-color. Really? My logo, red, white, and blue, of course, uh, you know, took extra time to make. But anyway, uh, I was the, you know, when I was late with my brochures, I'd be like, you know, man, I know, you know, there's no notice here, but these things have really got to get out in like three days. He would drop other projects and do mine. So, you know, I recommend that to all business owners. Try and do business with small businesses where you can be the big fish mm. in a little pond and get great service. And, yeah. and, and I, when I left him is when he said to me, uh, gee, I can't. I just got a big project with the Harvard Business School or Har- one of the Harvard schools to print all their 
course manuals. I got to print 20,000 of them in full color, 40 pay, whatever. You know, I can't do your thing for a few days. I was like, that's it. I'm out. Mm. When I'm full longer, the one he drops everything for, I found another obscure small printer practically teetering on the edge of bankruptcy and became mm. his biggest guy. So, mm. But anyway, so uh, I had all these brochures running, all these uh, things going out. I was supporting all these businesses and suppliers and employees and, 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 and my customers, everyone happy. And I am still bootstrapping everything where I have no vacation, no enjoyment, uh, putting every penny, every second back into the business. And then this offer came, and I said no. And then I grew to resent the business because then anything happened and everyone knows who's listening who's an entrepreneur or business owner, it's a roller coaster ride, right? It's not anything draw, anyone draws up on the board that it's get rich quick and the, the line just goes up and everything is hunky-dory. Like uh, there's ups and downs. And as soon as a downtime would hit, immediately regret sank in for me. And I said, man, if only I'd taken that offer. Uh, I live in a. I would have taken just a hundred grand out of it for myself, mm-hmm. and had a really nice place to live in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. A, a decent place to a car to drive. And I could have, uh, you know, take a week off. I mean, I could have had twenty more employees to do this stuff that I don't want to do, and a blah blah blah. And uh, so the downtimes caused the regret, and I think it accelerated my burnout. So the the fueling is another lesson learned from that. Is my uh, my goal setting. Uh, lesson. My goal was to be the largest fantasy sports game company in the industry when I started. That's a fair goal, to be the largest company in your industry, beat all your competitors. Problem was, I beat them pretty quickly. Within two, three years, I was trouncing them all, and I only told you three of the strategies I used. I mean, a toll-free number, a free brochure, and some prize money uh, is like only just three of the things I did. I did so many other things that were just too easy, which I still think nowadays is too easy for every business to beat every one of your competitors. People just don't do it. But using what I back then was the wow strategy that I didn't even know existed, I hadn't even called it that yet. Uh, made it too easy to beat everybody. Um, and But here's the problem. I didn't reset the goal. Right. Right, now, So I was yeah. now the largest in the industry, and I put my feet up, and I stopped driving. And yeah. all I should have done was say, now I want to be the largest company of any kind, or I want to make the Inc. 500, or I want to do yeah. something. I needed to reset the goal to say, I want to make X amount, or I want to employ X number of people so I can have time off, or I can get a place, or, and I didn't. Mm. So now I lost some drive because I was not inwardly driven. I was outwardly driven, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, was, I was driven by, other, by beating other people, comparing myself to others, which is a danger not to be done. That mm-hmm. I did, that's a mis- I made every mistake with that business, but that's one I made. Yep. And I, if I had been inwardly driven and said, I want to be the best Steve Cypress can be, then I, then I would have kept going. Right. So as long as I compare myself to others, uh, I, could, I, I yeah. had a chance, and in this case, I very quickly and easily lost my drive. So, yeah, I, and then when I put my feet up, oh, no, the whole thing crashed. I mean, when I stopped doing what got the company to where it was, uh, already I had complaints from my original best customers saying, which I'm still in touch with some of them to this day. I mean, the whole thing is a lifelong Again, not the transactional daily lottery fantasy sports that are playing today. The real fantasy sports where, again, my guys are getting satellite dishes and calling each other every night for three hours while the games are on, talking about every pitch in the game, and being lifelong friends still to this day. I have Mm. plenty of customers like that. They met in my leaves. They're still lifelong friends to this day. It's been 30 years. That's so awesome. Actually, my 30th year law school reunion was last weekend. That's Uh, awesome. So I know it's been 31 years since I did this thing. Oh, and I just got a Facebook message this morning from one of my college buddies who said, 
just spent Thanksgiving with the family talking about the origins of fantasy sports. They looked at me like I'm crazy, but it gave me the idea. What if we got the guys together and did a league again? Do you remember who were the guys in our original league? That's that just came to me today in Facebook. It's the day after Thanksgiving. That's my so awesome. What do you think my immediate response is? Like, poor second. Yeah. How do I not remember the eight guys in my original basketball league? <laughs> second of all, since I just moved 12 days ago, I just packed and found my original newsletters from that original league. And, of course, when I'm supposed to be packing, I'm reading a few of them and reliving the days and going, like, wasn't this great back then? There was no multimillion-dollar lawsuit. You know, you're really just gambling. Thing. This is just a bunch of guys really having fun. And I did it not for the prize money. I did it to build relationships, to maintain yep. relationships, to stay yep. friends with people. I knew that if we had to call every week to set lineups, make trades, and trash talk with each other, that we would stay in contact, which we did, and we still to this day, thanks to that message even coming in. So, you know, this was a, a great fun thing to do, but I, I, here's another lesson. When you turn your hobby into a business, guess what? Hobby. You don't have hobby. a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, or you're right. One. So you have to get another one, which I didn't do. So back when I, all growing up and all through, through, through my whole life up to that point, I had loved being a sports fan. I had, I had readily uh, just totally devoured every sports publication. I knew every... You know, I used to, when I was a kid, I mentioned taking my one penny from my bottles and buying some baseball cards. And I would memorize the backs of baseball cards. I mean, I just loved sports and statistics and knowing everything about the players. And, and, and I said, well, how great this is going to be when I start to get paid for it. Mm. So now, Sports, sports Illustrated subscription becomes a tax write-off. Getting cable TV was a tax write-off. <laughs> I had to have cable TV. I have to watch the draft live. I have to watch the sports games. I have right. to know because my, my customers are going to call up and go, who do you think I should draft at third base? And I, I have to impress them by going, you know, there's this guy in double-A ball for the Atlanta Braves who's batting 360, and you ought to pick him up. They're like, you're incredible. That's great. And, it, you know, they would keep playing my game. Well, you know, customer service stopped being me, and I would get the complaints from my original mm-hmm. customers. Hey, we don't get to talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why we, one of the big reasons we love the game. We don't get to talk to you. If I was smart, mm-hmm. what I know now, obviously they I would have, yeah, I would have created a yeah. premier level access league something yeah. for a bazillion dollars where you get to personally talk to me and charge big money for that. Yeah. But I didn't know anything, so I made every mistake in the world. But, uh, you know, uh, basically the, the, the total downfall of the business came in 1990, I think it was. There was a baseball strike, uh, which there had been a couple of times before, but this one was in spring training, and it lasted the whole thing, and everyone was like, I don't know if there's going to be a season, and uh, and and – so nobody was responding to my brochures and my ads. Right. So I had over six figures out there in ads and brochures with no responses. Everyone wondering is, if the league isn't going to be, why am I going to send this guy 225 bucks? Like, so uh, you couldn't even get a credit card back then if you were an at-home business. So it was all cash and checks coming in. Mm. Uh, and so they just weren't doing it. And then, oh, a week before the season or on opening day, you know, right there, this, of course, at the last minute, the strike is settled. And so now what do I get to do? Well, I get to reprint all my brochures and mail them all out again and get on the phone and start calling people like crazy. And I can't place ads because there's lead time and there's not enough time to place ads. And lo and behold, I, I get like half the customers I normally get. There's no email list. There's no social media. There's no instant anything. I get like half the customers I'm supposed to get. And baseball is the only sport being played. 
at that point. Uh, so this is going to be the only money I have coming in to pay my employees for the entire summer. Money is Whoa. not going to come in again until August when football comes in. Right. And so my business took a big crash right there. Oh, and by the way, uh, I mentioned 1990 is another thing dating myself. The people who remember the Jimmy Carter days, uh, the late 80s, of uh, uh, interest rates were like 18%. No bank was giving any loans for anything. And so I couldn't get any kind of a loan to stay in business and get through that trouble. I remember even going into banks, and it was an hour of, what do you do? And trying to explain what the <laughs> heck I do. They were like, wait a minute, you what? Your players draft the players onto the road. But we're Red Sox fans. What do you mean you don't have to root for the Red Sox third baseman who's terrible? You get to draft the best third baseman in the league. I don't understand. Uh, what is oh. Bank after bank, not enough, of course, because you know there are stories of people getting turned down by 38 publishers and 42 banks and this yep. and that. I gave up after six or eight, um, and I, my company had taken a big hit. Add that to the resentment of why am I doing all this mm-hmm. and not getting any uh, pay out of it. I should have taken that deal. Uh, I didn't make it through. The, I really just barely limped through that tough time and uh, was kind of burnt out, and the business completely was gone about a year later. It just, uh, yeah, completely messed it up, which the good news of that now is I can spot the warning signs. I have helped numerous entrepreneurs and business owners to not go through the stuff for the same thing I did because I can spot the warning signs of burnout from a mile away, and I can help them with some things they need to do in their business that will get them a second wind. That's a big uh, statement I hear all the yep. time from members yep. and clients. I'm like, man, this is giving me a second wind. I was tired of being a plumber for 37 years, yep. but now this whole thing about marketing my plumbing business and all the fun things you can do with that mm-hmm. has really given me added enjoyment, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there's something good comes from everything. So even though I, I messed that whole thing up, uh, you know, there I was. I, from there... I answered an ad in the paper, which, again, I could not answer an ad that had good pay or anything, good benefits, that nonsense about, you know, some nine-to-five thing. I could only answer the opportunity ads. I answered an ad for door-to-door sales. I didn't know it was door-to-door sales, but the ad said management training. We're opening new locations. We need to train managers in all aspects of our direct selling business. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, that sounds good. I ran a business pretty successfully. Let's mm-hmm. check that out. I went in found out it was door-to-door sales, I was like, what? Not going to be doing that. And then I said, wait a minute, I'm results-oriented. I don't even think I said, I just am Mm results-oriented. I said, actually, I am going to do that because I want the result. I want to run a business again. No bank's going to give me money. Nobody's going to let me run their business. These guys say they don't care what I did. They don't care that I bankrupted a company. You know, I didn't technically declare bankruptcy. Probably another mistake, by the way, I should have. But I didn't protect myself under bankruptcy. I paid back all kinds of money and for equipment and who knows what, I mean, just craziness. But I, I took this job, and I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll load out trucks in the warehouse. I'll go do door-to-door sales, and then I'll, I'll learn how to do interviews and bank deposits and train people and, and open and close and, you know, run the whole business. And after a little while, a uh, little over a year, in a six-month training program, took me 13 months, uh, I uh, finished the program at my own slow pace of, not getting it and not being good at sales and being terrible and couldn't sell a thing um, and living in my negative world of resentment and misery anyway. But I, I made it through it, and I, for the next eight years, I ran my own location and troubleshooting other locations, and so I did that door-to-door thing for nine years. Wow. So 
you know, that that's more, of course, every one of those is ups and downs. And, yep. you know, there are, there are good weeks and bad weeks. And you, mm-hmm. everyone was a volunteer independent contractor selling stuff door to door like I had been. And so sometimes you have 30 guys and then there's a snowstorm hits and you have three guys come in the next day and you mm-hmm. start all over again. And, you know, I did that for nine years and then I went out and, and did what I'd done on a part-time basis for all those years. I had been a consultant. People had always asked me questions on how to build and run a successful business. And I recognized that, and I said, you know what, let's turn that into a business. Mm. So I started consulting in the year 2000 Mm. and did it part-time. And and unfortunately, how about another lesson, because if there aren't enough already, uh, (laughs) I I love how from from all the mistakes in my life, which we couldn't even, you'd have to do a 50-hour interview for me to even mention three of them. Yeah, but there's such gems in this stuff, Steve. There really is. I'm taking notes, and you've dropped some. Well, I haven't made every mistake in the world, thankfully. Otherwise, I'd be dead tomorrow. So I've I've got plenty more mistakes in me, but I've made plenty. But that's even what Thomas uh, Edison said. He said when he invented the light bulb, he said, I didn't figure it out. I just ran out of wrong things to do. And uh, I honestly think that's... Well, even... I, I, with me, I don't think that they'll ever... I will never run out of the <laughs> wrong things to do. I'm pretty sure. I, the, if there's something I'm the best at, it's making mistakes. Nobody can... I used to tell that to people in the door-to-door sales. Like, the reason I, I tell them that when I'm in front of the room, getting the troops ready to go out and sell their stuff, and they say, the, the only reason I'm in the front of the room and you guys are there is because I've taken more no's than you. Right. I've taken about 40,000 no's. And you guys have only taken a couple of hundred, three hundred, get out there, get your nose, get robbed at gunpoint, get thrown out of 400 businesses for no soliciting, get arrested a few times, uh, you know, get all your stuff stolen out of your car, stolen out of your, right out of your pocket, uh, you know, get told to get a real job, get laughed at, see people you know, see my former girlfriend from college, see my former boss, and seeing them knowing I have a law degree and ran a multi-million dollar business and now I'm selling crap door to door for five bucks and have all of that happen, and then maybe you can be in the front of the room where I am. But that's why the program worked the way it worked, because mm-hmm. why should I be up in the front of the room managing these guys, and how effective could I be if I hadn't gone through it all myself? Exactly. So I say the same thing about being a business consultant. I've yep. made every mistake there is, yep. and I had, and my mom was a school teacher. My dad was an entrepreneur, so naturally I'm just a, a fantastic mix yeah, of being able to both. teach business and entrepreneurialism from from it's just in my dna and then it's in my experience and every day since the teacher learns more than the student i get smarter and smarter every time i hold another mastermind group or do another call or even do a one-on-one strategy session for free i keep getting smarter and smarter when i hear somebody else's issues i i'm like you know, talked about what a great sportsman I'm. I'm a huge game player. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, I won contests and tournaments in Monopoly and backgammon and chess, and I was on the chess team and and all these crossword puzzle things. And then, you know, I, I was always playing these games. I've always been this game player, problem solver. Well, that's how I look at business. So mm-hmm. consulting mm-hmm. is just perfect for me. I love helping people. I love seeing the light bulbs go off, and I love solving problems and coming up with solutions. So even if it's on a a free strategy session that I do, that I'll I'll never actually work with the person. I'm determined to absolutely help them in that time I have them on the phone, and it's something I love to do. So I'm not done making mistakes. I'm not done learning. (laughs) I never will. I have a saying. I I put it on a poster board. One of the events that I held, I've held over 250 seminars for business owners over the last seven years now. And uh, it says lifetime learners are lifetime earners. So I don't know if I came up with that, but I like saying it. It helps... uh, it helps me when, like yesterday, my beautiful wife Michelle's family is coming over 
for Thanksgiving, and uh, we had about 20 of them here, and they're singing my library, which I went down before the move. I cut it down from 14 floor-to-ceiling bookshelves full of stuff down to six, and I only have a few stuff in boxes. I think I have to get a couple more. That's but, awesome. Um, I had a name-your-own-price moving sale and cleared out a lot of my stuff, but I still have a lot, and they're like, man, you have a lot of books. Yeah. And I'm like... That's like telling a carpenter you have a lot of tools. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's what I do. And, and and not to mention, I tried to get rid of more of my books, Daryl, but I had to keep every one that's personally signed to me. And I happen to have, like, two complete bookshelves. <laughs> people are always my friends. And, you know, similar, yep. you have almost the same friends. You know, they're writing books. Yep. Sending me their books, their programs, and their hand. As soon as they're handwriting something in the front, well, now how can I can't get rid of yeah, that? Yeah, how you can't get rid of that? Thanking me in the acknowledgments. You know, when am I going to get rid of that? You know, so so I I have all these programs and books that are from my clients and my friends, and their hand signed to me and personal notes. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I would have I would have recycled that. But that's yeah. what I called my name, my own price, name your own price clearing out. So I I thought of it as recycling. I've already read every one of these books gone through all these programs, I've benefited immensely and my clients mm. from all the action. My clients love it when I can, you know, take any kind of action there is because I've gone to every seminar and taken every course and done every program so they don't have to. And uh, But, you know, now it's time to get this in the hands of somebody else mm. that can use it and benefit from it from them. Mm. But a lot of the stuff I just couldn't get rid of. So, yeah, I, I still have my stuff. I'm still learning. I'm still teaching. I'm still starting businesses and, and, and just loving life. No, I love it, and I love the expression "lifetime learners" or "lifetime earners." I'm the same way. I'm moving in with my girlfriend, and uh, we were going through boxes oh, yeah. last night, and she's like, "You got you got a lot of books," and she's telling me that she's got this bookshelf. I'm like, "No, you don't understand. We need like a room. Uh, I, le- I yeah. need a room of bookshelves." And then I'm you going do, through. Well. And she, she's like, "Can't get rid of some of them," and I'm like, "Okay." And I'm going through. I'm like, "Okay, well, I can't get rid of this one. No, I, I can't get rid of that one." Well, uh, yeah, I love right. I love my book. Well, I mean, I I, I was spoiled. I, we had our, our last place we moved in was in Illinois where they have basements. Here in Scottsdale, there's no such thing. You have to have, like, the world's most powerful drill. There's, like, one home out of 100 has a, a basement with a rock. So there's no basements. I was I had a basement that was the entire size of the home. Wow. So our two floors were, like, uh, uh, I think they were, oh, they were, like, 1,200 square feet each. Yeah. And then my basement was another. No, it was, no the basement was, was 2,200 square feet. It was 1,000 square feet of storage, and then there was 1,200 for my 14 bookcases That's going around awesome. the room, basically. And a couple of cou- two couches, a fireplace, two desks, three desks, uh, and 14 bookcases. I mean, I had this whole – and my studio set up for videos. I had this whole big area, and now I'm like, holy moly, I'm going to downsize into, like, one room, no basement? <laughs> How is this going to happen? <laughs> So, you know, now, and check this out. As the movers came, and they went in, I said, don't even go in the basement. It was like a week before the move. Of course, I know a guy owns a moving company. I don't know. I've helped people that own every type of business imaginable, so who am I going to do business with? I'm like, come on over, give an estimate, but I haven't started packing this basement yet. The whole, my wife, of course, had the entire rest of the house packed, packed up, you know, you a go. week in advance. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I haven't even touched anything here. It's the most dreadful experience I have to go through. And uh, But I said, you know, here, I just waved my hand. I was like, basically none of this stuff is going. I'm clearing all this stuff out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so when they came with, with their truck, well, they had done their estimate, right? So they come with the truck. As it gets towards the end, the truck is filling up, and they're like, oh, Steve, I came to tell you this, but you're going to have to make some choices now about what to take and what to leave. And I'm like, what? 
So I'm okay with that because I could very easily just say dump about ten of those cases of books or whatever. I did, you know, I, I gave away uh, over 500 books to my church. I gave away hundreds of other books and materials and courses, and and I just threw out tons of magazines and who knows what else I had. I just I put an ad on Craigslist. If people didn't buy them, I just threw them out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like ready to do this, but I oh my goodness, I looked at my beautiful wife Michelle in practically not even practically. She's totally breaking down in tears now. Of like, what do you mean? I can't take the china from my grandmother and the thing from the what I'm like, oh, my goodness. So now we had to go at Friday night. This is Friday night at nine o'clock, 6 o'clock. We are renting a trailer from a U-Haul. <laughs> there are none, by the way. So I'm calling around everywhere. Everyone's going, no, no, no. I finally call the corporate go, we'll find one. Oh, here's one. It's only 13.5 miles away. I'm like, do you understand that I'm in Chicago? In Chicago, 13.5 miles is like like 17 towns. Second of all, it's 6 o'clock on a Friday night. It is the most heinous traffic in the history of mankind. And I have to drive a rent-a-truck <laughs> taking like five miles to the gallon uh, full of crap to go to a rental place to strap the thing onto the back of it and drive it back 13 and a half miles, and she's closing at 6.30. I'm like, guys, get in here. Let's go. It's 6 o'clock. Of course, we didn't make it till 6.45. Luckily, the lady it was a small business owner. She waited and, uh, and strapped that thing on, and we went back up, and the guys didn't finish packing till 9 at night. We then had to clean up and throw out garbage that some stuff they really couldn't take, and an entire two-car garage full of furniture that we couldn't get rid of. The family and friends and neighbors just came over the next couple of days and got, but we weren't out of there till 11 o'clock on a Friday night, but that cost me an extra 1500 bucks in the move just to, because I had said all that stuff's going to go, and then I just could not, like you yeah. said, I just could not part with some of these golden gems. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have digitized a lot of my stuff, too. I scanned it in. It's not and the I, same. I, it's not the no, same. No, I have to keep the actual look <laughs> at there. There it is, mass control with the 14 CDs and DVDs of the monthly whatevers that he did and the whatever. Now, of course, he sold the whole darn thing for 100 bucks or something. But I'm like, you know, I have to have certain – oh, and all my notes from all the conferences, all the – the GKICs and the super conferences and the infusion cons and icons. You know, I have all these binders and conferences. You can't replace those. The nope. books. Yep. And a lot of the courses you can get on Amazon or you can get, you know, you can go buy them again or you can get them digital or whatever. But a lot of the stuff I just couldn't replace yep. or wouldn't replace, yep. wouldn't leave. And, uh, man, I don't know how I'm doing it here because, uh, uh, you know, I have too much stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, that's part of the fun. It's about the journey, and it's about collecting it and the memories and going through it. And you never know, was that the book you don't own, you can't read, and the book you don't read, well, you can't plus help it's, 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 And it's so much more important than that for me as a consultant. So my clients hire me just because they know I have all this stuff. And, they're you know, if they we need to implement some, I can go right to a book on the shelf, yep. or I can go right into my swipe files, and I have, I have there it is. Here are the campaigns. Here's the yep. this. Here's the that. Not only do I keep every product I buy, but I make a uh, take a screenshot of the sales page of everything I buy, mm. which is a lot, by the mm. way. So I have an entire folder full of the sales pages of every online product I bought. Now, I started doing this not to have a swipe file. I started doing this because I wanted to know what the heck I bought. Like, <laughs> I would buy some. The sales page has 16 bullet points. You would get the thing in a big box, and I'd go, why did I get this again? Right. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I You know, I look at the sales, and I'm like, oh, yeah, look. It has the four things not to do and whatever. Let me find that, because that intrigued me when I read the sales list. So I now take a copy of every sales letter, so I see what I got, and I put that in. When I get a digital product, that's that 
before I even look at the program, I know what I'm looking for, and I have an idea. It's kind of my index, the sales letter mm. done properly. Nowadays, unfortunately, or yeah. fortunately for the people selling, for all of us, video sales letters are taking over. And if you don't describe, I've transcribed a few, but if you don't, man, I lost my table of contents. Where's my index of yeah. my thing? It's a 40-minute video, but that I'm not going to take 40 yeah. minutes to know what's in the course. I'd rather open it up, but yeah. to have a one-minute peruse of the sales letter. So, you know, I have a lot of stuff digitized, but my clients love that they're like, hey, you know, when so-and-so did such-and-such, -such, yeah, of course I have that program. Let's do it. Well, yeah, because we duplicate successful stuff. Exactly, and you just said it right there. I'm Duplicate successful stuff. I mean, there's you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's like, you know, I trained martial arts for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and it's a lot of people would be like, oh, this new technique, nothing's new. What you think, you think in the thousands of years that we We've existed. Someone hasn't thought of twisting another human up like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've destroyed each other in as many different ways possible. There's nothing really new under the sun. It's just getting what's worked and being able to validate it and make it fit for that. You know, find the right fit for that situation. So there's immense value. Well, now you said you said a great lesson right there because what's new is the combinations. That's all that can be new. Correct. So the fact that now you have the the popular thing is this. Uh, where these guys kick and punch each other. What this uh, ultimate fighting or yeah. what, mixed yeah. martial arts? Yep. Like, that's the big thing. You can tell I've never watched any of those. But uh, <laughs> but I'm like, are you kidding me? The guy's kicking. He's getting kicked in the face by a bare foot. Doesn't that like smell? Like what are you doing? Like they're, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, because you can't help but see the highlights of it or the one. I'm like that guy just kicked him right in the yep. face like Billy Jack in the yep. movie. Like, man, that's really something. Well, that, that's a combination. And mm -hmm. so maybe somebody's come up with a new combination. I know that uh, all these uh, Indiegogo crowdfunding Kickstarter sites, a lot of those are combinations. Yep. A Shark Tank, a lot of those are combinations. It's yep. like, oh, no, I didn't invent this. What I did was you know, uh, my kid was going to school, and I was all frustrated, so I took a whatever and sewed it into his whatever, and now I have a million-dollar product. Yeah. So you're yeah. right. There's nothing new. What there is is if you could stop all the nonsense you do to have some time to do like I'm doing right now, sit out by a pool, get on the phone with another brilliant marketer or really anybody and just think and talk and, and think through some ideas – and come up with a better way to put together what you already have, but most of all, absolutely model it on success. You mentioned mm -hmm. don't reinvent the wheel. The important lesson there is, but you definitely want a wheel. Yes. Yeah, so you definitely want a wheel. a lot of people run a business with no systems, no automation. Yep. I mean, near and dear to my heart, the name of my corporation is Successful Selling Systems. Yep. Like, systems is the key. Anything, yep. uh, I think I heard it from InfusionCon people who say something like, if you do anything more than twice, Three times, yeah. you need to automate it. Yeah. Yep. Like, cut it out. Yep. And so give yourself time to think. Give yourself time to say, what if? Stop doing all the mundane things. Get around more high-level people. Get into more high-level mastermind groups. Attend more events live in person. Yeah, I know all this stuff costs money and takes time and investment, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm a living proof that you're going to get it back 10, 20 times if you just take action based on it. Yeah. Like, a lot of people go to these groups looking to get clients. I don't go to groups to get clients. I go to no. groups to hang around with people smarter than me, yep. doing up better or other different things than me. I see what they're doing, and I say, you know, how can I fit that into yes. a different, totally different type of business than one of my clients has? Yes. Therefore, none of his competition knows even about this or is doing it, yep. and we're going to have massive success. Yep. Well, that's why clients hire me or they join my mastermind group, because that kind of thinking, that lateral 
thinking that uh, applying one thing to another, to me, is where all the success is nowadays. Like you said, it's not about coming up with some new shiny idea because there no. aren't any. No. What I have to, people, to say to people that, that are buying the shiny objects and saying, what do you think? Because they ask me all the time, Steve, what do you think about this? Yeah. Anytime I go to an event, people march up to me at the end of every presentation. Do you think this is good? Do you think this? I'm like, it's all good and it all works. The question is, well, is this what you need yes. right now for your business? You told me you want to concentrate on this. And so now you're buying this guy's product on how to whatever? Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. So yep, it's, yep. it's not about another shiny object. My saying, again, I don't think I came up with it, but the idea is you want to get on the right side of the cash register. Too many people are continuing to be only buyers, and they're thinking if I buy one more program or take one more set of notes or go to one more presentation or listen to one more thing or watch one more whatever, and I just keep taking it in and taking it in and taking it in and buying and buying and buying with time and money, and you've got to get on the other side of the register and start putting together your own programs and your own coaching groups and your own products and your own whatever it is and never stop buying stuff. Like I said, lifetime learners are lifetime earners, but start selling stuff too. Another email that was in my inbox today or a message in my Facebook was, hey, what do you think of all these Black Friday messages that are coming today? They're overloading my inbox. What do you think? And my response was, I'm paying no attention to them. I'm concentrating on staying on the right side of the cash register. Mm -hmm. Today is a big buying day. It's the number one shopping day. You tell me which side of the register you want to be on. Do you mm -hmm. want to be one of the millions of Americans doing all the shopping and spending, or do you want to be one of the few people getting people to spend and buy from you? And that's not just Black Friday. That's every day. So yep. every day I'm buying and I'm selling. I'm doing both. Yep. What yep. are you doing? If you're chasing shiny objects and not selling, that's enough already. Get out there, take whatever knowledge you have, whatever expertise you have. Believe me, someone else will pay for it. If it isn't me or Daryl or somebody, get someone to help you to put that together. Get it out there and start getting on the right side of the cash register, please. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you have given so many gems. I've actually been taking – I take notes on all these calls, and I took some notes here. And I just want to go through some of the highlights of what we've just gone through because you gave – Well, can you send those to me because I don't even know what I said. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can do I definitely can. So the top two that I thought were a couple of the best was one is have a better offer. Your offer must be irresistible. Obviously, that was from your wow. The other one was you have to have a great audience, a great target market, the who – the other one you said is think about your prospects. Think from their point of view. The other one you mentioned was keep going and never give up. That was another lesson from your stories. You also talked about how one ad can change your life and change your business. You also talked about duplicating what works. That was very recent. Another one was the only reason to start a business is to sell it. The other one was be your vendor's biggest fish where possible for better personal attention and service. The other one was with goal setting. Never be satisfied. Set your goals. Uh, make sure your goals are in, inwardly driven and reset them once they're achieved. I really loved when you talked about how are you building a lifelong friendship with your customers. Drayton Bird has a quote saying the purpose of business is to, is to generate leads, to turn a lead into a customer and a customer into a friend. Um, the other one we talked about was if you make your business your hobby, you need a new hobby. And then uh, one of the last ones that uh, – where is there? Well, you wrote down get out there and sell, which I really liked. Uh, something you said that was a quote for that I used to say all the time was never betray the behaviors that got you where you are. 
which I think is really important when you talked about how once you became successful, you kind of changed what you did because you didn't reset your goals. And what was, there was one more here. And this is something I've said a few times. When you produce, you earn money. When you consume, it costs you. I always thought that when I watch TV, when I watch something, it's costing me time. It's costing me money. When I produce something, that's when I get the chance to earn. And so you mentioned that too. This is just the bullets that I got out of the call. If anyone listening to this feels like I missed anything or you're not sure if you heard these or not, please go back and listen. There was a lot of great lessons in this call, a lot of amazing stuff. Steve, you Darryl, obviously... I got to commend you on some tremendous note-taking. As you went through the list, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah, well, I mean, to that. me, I was just... In fact, and now that I think about it, this is also instructive for uh, anyone doing interviews. You asked one question. <laughs> how did you get and you And I didn't even answer it. You asked uh, someone, like, how did you get your start? Yeah. That's the most mundane starting question, and we talk about all those bullet points and more. For, for people, by the way, your listeners that are left hanging as to my WOW strategy, which is W-O-W, and we haven't talked about the last W, we kind of did. The last W is the way. It's the way you get your irresistible offer in front of your who. And mm. I mentioned the obscure sports magazine being the ideal way to make sure that my message only gets in front of the most rabid sports fans who are the most likely to pay me big money to have fun playing a sports Yeah, I want to put up a blimp or, you know, get a, get a sticker on an ass car or put an ad on the Super Bowl or something general that would attract all kinds of leads that are not going to give me money. I found the right way to get my irresistible offer in front of my who, and that's the, the last part of the wow strategy. So that's even awesome. That and that covers the top three things. And this is something uh, – I'm going to sneeze. If I, if I disappear, it's because I'm sneezing. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, you this. You must be allergic to having a ton of fun and making a lot of <laughs> I wish, I wish. No, it's the first, it's the first cold of the year. So, um, but I wanted to ask, you know, you've had so much great advice, and I know I don't want to respect your time. I don't want to take you, keep you too much longer. But can you just maybe just speak for before I let you go, just a one second about crafting an irresistible offer, because that is such like the two most critical things is the who and the offer, and the way is you know if you don't have the right way, you're on a dead end block, right? So you need the way, you need the way, because otherwise you're you're wasting so much money on your market dollars but crafting offers can you just maybe just just speak poetic on that for like 60 seconds or something like can you summarize that how do you what do you what advice can wow you give to summarizing it you you nailed me because summarizing it is a lot tougher tough, tougher than just talking about it <laughs> aimlessly for 40 minutes um which of course i i've held full day seminars on the irresistible offer but uh, basically <laughs> it, it is what it is it's an irresistible offer so from your target market's point of view, if I have 60 seconds, that's what I'll say. You craft your offer from your prospect's point of view, not yours. So when I suggest to somebody, you ought to give X, and they go, ooh, I don't want to do that. That's not the question. The question is not what are you willing to give. The question is what do they want. So you, you have to you everyone I think listening has heard the the statement and if you haven't you ought to hear it now. If you'll sell people what they need, you're going to go broke. You got to sell people what they want. You can give them what they need later, but you've got to sell them what they want, and they want an irresistible offer. So you know I saw someone today uh, put a Black Friday offer, fifty one percent off. I'm like. See ya. I didn't even look at it. That's the very definition of resistible. 51% off. Now I got another offer with 70% off something that I looked at. So how about free? 
How about the most magical world in the history of marketing? Free. Yep. So if you have a free seminar, a free ebook, I'll give you a free copy of my book. I'll give you a free video series. I'll give you a free month mm. trial into my something. That is going to start to be irresistible. You still got to think about it from the customer's point of view because free ice cream isn't even irresistible. What if you're a diabetic? Yep. What if you don't like vanilla and I only have free vanilla ice cream? So the greatest thing that you think is the greatest thing in the world at the greatest price in the world still might not be. It's up to what your customer thinks. So it goes back to the who. You've got to first know everything you can about all the problems, the, the, the keeping them up at night, ultimate really bugging them problems that your prospect has that you can solve. And then you've just got to practically give it to them. And later on, they will buy from you. But first, you give them a free trial. Anyone's ever gone into a Costco? I mean, there's a box of crackers mm -hmm. that'll sit there. Three pallets of crackers will sit there all day. And then right next to it is a pal three pallets of crackers with a lady giving one free sample to everyone who walks by. Yep. Those three pallets of crackers will be gone at the end yep. of the day. Yep. It's not the crackers. They gave the irresistible offer with a free cracker, and then they sold. So they gave away maybe three boxes of them, and they yeah. sold three pallets of them. If you're not willing to do that in your business, to invest in your prospects, and you think this is what I call the tip of the iceberg thinking, is what most business owners, it's their downfall. They only see the tip of the iceberg. We all know the saying: only 10% of the iceberg is below above the surface. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the initial sale. So too many businesses are trying to make money off the initial sale, and they're yeah. missing. The 90 or more percent of money they could have gotten from that prospect, that's after the initial sale, which is why you see initial sales of free trial, free ebook, try a free sample of my ice cream or my whatever, because they know if that person comes in down the road, he comes in every Friday night with the kids to get ice cream for the next five years while they live in that neighborhood. Yeah. You just got thousands of dollars to give yeah. those kids $20 worth of ice cream the first night. So don't yeah. be stingy with your irresistible offer. Make it irresistible, but not based on what you want or are willing or think you're okay with giving. In fact, here's the test. If you're totally uncomfortable with your offer and you can't sleep at night and you're worried about it because it's giving away too much, you're on the verge of it being irresistible. <laughs> Steve, that was so well said, and it's a great note for us to end on. Thank you for helping give as much as you can in one hour. I mean, after 35 years of experience of building and breaking <laughs> businesses, I mean, there's just so much content to this call. I really encourage the listeners to go back and listen to it again. There's just so much through this, through analogy, just to learn from your experiences. Thank you so much for sharing. How do people reach out to you if they're like, man, this Stuff. Steve's guy's got some great stuff. How can they get on your list? How can they, you know, find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about their own problems? Well, uh, my website is my name, stevecypress.com. There's a, a video up there of giving a, a wow strategy presentation. But uh, if they just want to really get on the phone with me, I put up a link to a five- or six-question survey at helpfromsteve.com. So much easier to spell than my last name. Just go to helpfromsteve.com. Tell me a little bit about your situation so I can get on the phone and, and best help you and get right into it instead of me having to ask some, pull some facts out of you and questions. You answer a few simple questions. We get on the phone, and I never say how long the strategy session is because I'll do some that are real short. We can already get some benefit to the caller, yep. and some I'll be on a little longer, but whatever it is, I love solving problems. I certainly love helping business owners and solve business problems, and I 
Absolutely. Whether we ever see each other, talk again, work together, do anything, you join my mastermind groups or become a client or anything, I absolutely guarantee I will help you immensely on that call, and I have a lot of fun doing them. So every time I do one of these, by the way, I get a little overloaded, so please understand if it takes me a, a little time to get back because I'm not going to have some minions making these calls back or any of that nonsense. It will be me personally getting on the phone with you and helping you personally and getting to know you a little bit, which I love to do. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. So once again, Steve Cypress, S-I-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Or it was, sorry, I don't want to get it wrong. Help, help from Steve? That's it. Helpfromsteve.com. Helpfromsteve.com. Steve, thank you again so much. I wish you and your wife and your dog all the best. And uh, I just hope you just have a wonderful time in your new home. I love Arizona. I should be there in a few months for that conference that we both talked about. And just thank you for coming and just sharing all that wisdom with us today. Yeah, I can't wait to see you, and uh, thank you so much for having me on here, Daryl. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.